as a frame of modern thinking, that however you look at it, they can seem outrageous, even ridiculous. Some of the things that it was claimed Jesus did and some of the things that Jesus claimed about himself. I have a friend who encountered Jesus in his later life and he said, when I grew up, I truly believed that Jesus was right up there with the Easter bunny. Sorry for any young ones. Uh, Right up there with the Easter bunny and all the myths and legends and fairy tales that there was to be had as a child. But there is something unique about Jesus. In fact, John, the person who you heard narrating the film from the start, he writes this in his account about the good news of Jesus. Near the end of it, he says these words, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah of the Jews, the Son of God, that is a king, and that believing you may have life in his name. John, having felt and seen and heard and touched and traveled with Jesus, concluded near the end of his life while he was on the island of Patmos, exiled because he was a follower of Jesus, he dared to believe and write about this man of being more than just a man. In fact, being a Jewish person, John takes the first book of the Torah, Genesis, And at the very beginning of his good news account about Jesus, inserts Jesus into a new creation account, a beginnings account. And so he begins by writing these words when he considers the world and the universe around him. He says this at the very beginning. He does a retake of the creation. And he says, in the beginning was the word referring to Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, John writes about Jesus, and that life was the light of all humankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's something more to be said about Jesus, writes John. And if you care to, I believe that he was right there in the beginning of the world when it was being created and he was with the Father and he was with the Spirit and he was there in that creation account. Profound, bold claims. This week, there was a delegation of people that I was involved with that headed up to Parliament House. You see, when Tony Abbott was in power and he decided to bring in 10,000 more Assyrian, uh, Syrian refugees... He turned, he said, to the church leaders and asked them what they could do to help when they finally arrive. It struck those of us who are part of a movement that's been going for 300 years now, that is the Baptists, followers of Jesus who are Baptists, and that's what this church is actually aligned with. It struck us that not one person who was part of that 300-year-old movement was invited to the table with Tony Abbott to talk. So a delegation had been sent from various states uh, all throughout Australia to go and meet and greet the politicians and basically introduce them and tell them who we are. And so this past week, we got to meet with people from all different spectrums of the political realm. Some people who, yes, I know, it's amazing, isn't it, that I actually own a suit, someone said. (laughs) And as we met with them, we had a conversation that went something like this. We know that the politicians know who the Catholic followers of Jesus are. We know that they know who the Anglican followers of Jesus are. 
But did you know that these Baptist people, this 300-year-old movement, is actually the third largest faith-based group that meets regularly, routinely. In fact, there's some 350,000 people aligned with following Jesus that align with this movement called Baptist in Australia. I said, did you know that these people are actually run through BAPCARE, the fourth largest aged care service in Australia? Did you know that their Baptist World Aid actually is the 11th largest uh, a foreign aid donor in Australia? In fact, there's many people everywhere, part of your constituencies, who are actually identify with following Jesus and this wider movement. I sat with one particular politician, and as we're conversing over coffee, he said, actually, I think it's good that people have a faith. I said, I agree. Uh, I agree with that because the idea of having faith enables people to feel as though they're part of something bigger, like they're part of a cause. It gives them a sense of hope and purpose. But I said to the parliamentarian, as we're sitting across the table having coffee, I said, but there's something unique about Jesus to all the other faiths and religions. I said, for instance, I've sat with an imam and I've read the Quran. I've sat with a Buddhist monk and I've read the writings of the Dalai Lama. I've actually sat with a Hindu priest and I'm reading right now the Bhagavad Gita, one of their ancient writings. I've sat with a rabbi and I've read the Torah. And I tell you, there is something unique about Jesus. He said, as I leant in a little bit closer to him, I said, in fact, I think most of the parliamentarians here, in fact, most Australians would be shocked by the radical claims of Jesus. In fact, I said, I think most Christians would probably be shocked by the radical claims of Jesus. I said, for instance, if he did rise to life, Followers of Jesus actually believe and they recorded that not only is Jesus just a good man, but he was God in the flesh. In fact, that right now, if he rose to life, he is seated at the right hand of God and that one day he is going to come and establish a new kingdom where he's going to judge the living and the dead, call all people to account. And his kingdom will come and reign here on earth just as it is in heaven. In fact, it's written in Acts chapter 2 where Peter was having a conversation with people gathered in the temple precincts, just where we saw depicted a few minutes ago. He writes these words, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, that is, God the Father has made his son Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, that is, the new Caesar of the world, as well as the Jewish Messiah or Christ. I said, when it comes to understanding who Jesus is, there's only three options. There was a great literary by the name of C.S. Lewis, and he gave them to us. He said, either, I said to him, either Jesus is a liar, because he said things like, I will forgive you of your sins. I will rise from the dead. I and the Father are one. If you believe in me, you can have eternal life. I said, Jesus is either a liar at that point, or he is a lunatic. And I said, his mother and brothers and sisters actually came to collect him one day because they thought he'd lost his marbles. Or he is who he claims to be, that is, the Lord of the whole lot, the new Caesar on the block, the boss of the world, the big shabam, the one who's over everything. And he said to me, wow, that's bold. I said, you see, the claims of Jesus 
are unique to all others. Last century, when C.S. Lewis was writing and depicting the life of Jesus through even his Chronicles of Narnia, they had a cohort of leaders and scholars who came together to discuss what is unique about Christianity compared to the other religions. In other religions, there are uh, stories of people coming back to life again, if you like, resurrections. In, in some of the ancient texts, there is images and stories about gods becoming men. So there's kind of incarnations. But they're trying to wrestle with themselves and wonder, what is it that is unique about Christianity and what Jesus Christ offers? C.S. Lewis walks into the room and he asks what the whole kerfuffle is about. And when they tell him, he goes, well, that's easy. What's unique about Christianity? What's unique about Jesus is grace. What's unique about Jesus is grace. You see, grace is this idea that you do not have to earn something in order to acquire it. In fact, it's something that has been done for you without any effort of your own that is done towards and for your favor without you sometimes even knowing about it. But it's there offered to you. And the only thing you need to say is thank you. I want to receive that just like a gift. You see, the Hindus have their karma. The recycle, the life again. Buddhists have their eightfold path. Uh, uh, Muslims have the five pillars of faith. Jews have their covenant. But Jesus offers grace. The idea that he did something for you that you cannot do for yourself, that he invites you to receive... That is forgiveness and new life just because he offers himself and has done something for you. That is grace. Jesus said these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What God offers is love. For God so loved you. For God so loved this world. He steps back and he grieves over the pain and discord and violence and anger and pride and grief and suffering. That at the heart of it is this human attitude and nature which says, God, I want to do things my way. I don't want to do things your way. And at the heart of it is a grieving God for his creation and for people wanting to save them and liberate them and bring a peace and a hope that transcends all understanding. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, than he would lay down his life for one's friends. At Easter time in a few days, it reflects upon the power and the meaning of a gracious act of a man named Jesus Christ, who believed that when he died on a cross, he paid a price that you and I could not pay. His sinlessness for our sin, his righteousness for our unrighteousness, his cleanliness for our uncleanliness, his good 
for our wrong, an exchange that you and I could not make in and of ourselves. We can't earn our way to God, enough good things to do in order to play, please a perfect and holy God. All we can do is fall at the feet of Jesus and say, this is something you have already done for me. You have stood in my place. And he says to all who receive him, he washes clean, cleanses from the inside out, and gives a second chance to start again. He paid a price that you and I could not pay. And he also raised to new life to give us a life that we could not afford of our own. For anyone who comes to Jesus, not only does he wash them clean, but he breathes new life into them. And he offers them an eternal life that reaches beyond the heavens. Jesus said these words, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, when Jesus was offering eternal life, he wasn't just thinking about time that goes on forever. Jesus was offering a life with God in the here and now, in the grime and the pain, in the grief and the suffering, in the wondering and the hoping. Jesus offers a life with God that at the heart of time immemorial, if you like, is the idea of a relationship with the God and the maker of the universe. This is eternal life. That you might know God and that you might know his son, Jesus. One conversation I had was with a parliamentarian from this area by the name of Michael Sucker. The problem with Parliament House is that you can get lost real easy. And between the barriers of the outsiders and the insiders, there's walls of security and people that check passes. And so the only way that you're allowed to move from the outside to the inside is if you've already signed in with a pass and you have a friend who can escort you through. I met Michael Sucker outside. We shook hands. He said, let's go and have a coffee. So as he walked to the walls of security, he just flashed his pass and the security person looked up, saw him with me and me with him, and then we just wandered on through. Well, we sat together and we had a coffee and we chatted for some time. And near the end of it, uh, he walked me back to the security fence. The only way you're allowed to be in Parliament House, inside all of the different rooms where the parliamentarians meet, is if you have an escort. I'm told that if you don't have an escort, they can lock down the whole Parliament House looking for the, the wandering people in the corridors. This is a major security breach. So he pointed to me, and he doesn't know this actually happened uh, just on Tuesday. He pointed to where I was to walk through, and I thought he was pointing down the corridor. So he turned away and walked off, and I proceeded to walk down the corridor. And as I walked down the corridor, I stumbled upon another cafe. I thought, this is brilliant. I can just sit in here and there must be another connection to the outside world. And so as I sat down, I connect, collected my bearings and then realized I'm probably in the wrong place. And so I hopped up again and I started to walk through past the canteen and a security person came up to me and said, what are you doing here? I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to get out. They said, you have to have someone escorting you. I said, I know, but I'm lost. Could you please show me the way out? And they did. They walked me. They said, this 
could be a major security breach. I said, I know that. I'm just figuring it out. But I really want to just leave and get out to the other side. And they escorted me to the door and moved me out. As I went outside and caught up with my friends and told them what happened, they said, did you know that that could have been a major security breach? I said, I know that. I said, with, they said, we could have gone into lockdown. I said, I know that. I just want to get on the outside. The power of the grace of Jesus goes something like this. If you know the son, you get to know the father. If you know the son, you walk through from the outside, if you like, to the inside into his kingdom and his world and his life. If you know the son, it opens up all kinds of doors to a new family where God welcomes you in. He gives you a new peace and hope that nothing else can afford. He forgives you and washes you clean because of what Jesus has done for you. And the new life that he lives now becomes part of you because he breathes new life into you and you experience at the heart of time immemorial the knowledge of a relationship in which you know Jesus. So the question I want to ask you today, do you know the peace that only God can give? Do you know the hope in your life that only God can afford? That there is not just an ending, but after the ending becomes another new life. And that the pain and the suffering that you might experience in this world, you do not have to do alone because there is a God who has experienced pain and suffering for you on your behalf that will walk with you in this life too. Who invites you to come and join with him in changing his world as he pours his new life into you and changes you from the inside out. How is God going to fix the world? One by one. When people surrender their lives to him and receive the grace that he offers by the simple words, yes, and thank you. I believe in who you are. In one of the last books of the Bible, there's a passage that goes like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is talking to the church. But he could also be talking to individuals. Behold, I stand at the door of your life and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up that door of their lives, I will come into them and I will eat with them and they with me. If you like, Jesus says, if you open up your life to me, then I will come in and you will know me and I will know you and I can escort you from the other side to the inn, from outside of God to the inside, from life without God to now life with him for all eternity. Do you know that? Do you know that life that only God can give? Jesus said that on that day, there'll be some people who come and say, didn't we prophesy in your name, Jesus? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. But to others who knew him, who know him, he gives the right to become children of God. What do I need to do to receive his life and his grace? Nothing more, nothing less than open up your heart and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Come in and meet with me. 
and I with you. We're going to listen to a song right now. And as you hear the words of this song, if you are exploring who Jesus is, then can I invite you to join us for Easter and join us on the Sunday where we celebrate new life and a resurrection. But this week, if you want to dive deeper into knowing who is he and what meaning could he have in my life, then I would encourage you, whether you follow him or not, take the account of John from the Bible and read it through. Maybe as we're hearing some music in a moment, you might want to pray. That prayer that I just invited you to say yes and thank you to God and say, open up your life. If that's you, then take one of the green booklets that are out there on the table and you can discover more about what it means to invite Jesus into your life. Or maybe as you hear the words of this song that you might like to join in because you know Jesus and you want to join with others in just saying thank you and worshiping him. Because when you do, something changes from the inside out and he turns you more and more into his likeness. Wherever it is with you, I'd invite you to respond to his voice today.